fall is in the air and it's time to go back to school. Announcing the Tent Autumn School on the Gospel of John. You may have noticed that there is a vast gap between Christianity and the way of Jesus. A gap that seems to be widening. Now, more than ever, we need to go back to the source. Now, more than ever, we need the book of the Beloved. You are invited to a chapter-by-chapter study of this extraordinary account of Jesus, taking in the political, cultural, and theological aspects of the entire Gospel of John. We'll meet for ten online sessions, led by me, Stephen Backhouse. We'll meet every Thursday from the 6th of October through to the 8th of December. To hit as many time zones as possible, the sessions will start at 8pm GMT. Each live session is one and a half hours, giving lots of time for teaching, discussion and friendship. Ask any question. Have your say. Meet fellow travellers. For prices and more info, visit the Courses and Resources page of the Tent Theology website or email me, stephen, at tenttheology.com to book your place for the Autumn School and the Gospel of John. Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. It might not be much of a surprise to listeners of this podcast to know that sometimes I get a bit down about the world. In the face of so much ignorance and violence and willful misrepresentation of Jesus in the name of Christianity, it can be quite depressing to be a teacher and a speaker in these spheres. For somebody who cares about the world and about the way of Christ in the world, this is not always an easy world to live in. A few months ago, I was feeling quite down about Christianity and my vocation as a teacher, and one of the people I reached out to was Bob Ekblad. Bob, who is our guest today on the podcast, is a Bible teacher. He's a prison minister. He works with migrants. He works with the poor. He travels all around the world teaching the New Testament. He's a politically engaged, socially minded, and deeply intelligent student of the Bible. Bob runs the People's Seminary. He runs a number of training courses. And together with his wife, Gracie, he is the founder and co-director of the Tierra Nueva Project in Burlington, Washington. I was honored that Bob agreed to talk with me, and I was so glad that we were able to record this conversation. I hope that you find it interesting and useful and encouraging to you. You and I have talked many times uh, offline, and in that conversations, you've often said to me, oh, I think you should be paying attention to Ezekiel, to Elijah, to the prophets, and uh, you've, you've started to tell me and do Bible studies with me on the phone, and I have decided that I'd like to do this on a recording, because 
you are someone who's made a, a bit of a line in in Bible studies which unlock the gospel for people. Uh, before we go into it, Bob, can you tell us a little bit about where this came from? Your discovery that the that Bible study could be a revolutionary activity. Yeah, I, uh, Gracie and I, we moved to Honduras in 1982, and we um, we lived there uh, the first uh, six years of our marriage and through through the 80s, and and it was there that we went to train. You know, to teach uh, sustainable farming and preventative health with a Honduran peasant um, who was a master organic intensive farmer. And we didn't go thinking we were going to do Bible study. We went really wanting to just serve people at their point of need. And we didn't see ourselves as missionaries. And then... Um, were you a New Testament scholar at this? Were you already a New Testament scholar at this? Day? No, not yet. I, I uh, Okay. What I'd been influenced by uh, reading liberation theologians who would... Um, who were saying, look, you know, Western, you Western Christians, you know, you need to um, put aside your theology and just come and humble yourself and learn from the poor and the excluded and the marginalized, the oppressed. And you will find that the scriptures will come alive and uh, they will speak differently. And you, you will, you will hear a gospel that is truly good news to the margin at the margins and to the poor and the oppressed. And, um, and so we made a decision to not pursue our graduate studies, um, but to instead go and learn from the poor. And so we moved to, uh, we started in Guatemala, but there was a civil war and it was really dangerous. We couldn't live there. So we moved to Honduras and, um, and we had a farm and um, first two years, we, we were just teaching about composting and preventative health education and contour farming. And then um, maybe maybe we had a Bible study with uh, our colleague, the hunter and peasant, you know, who was maybe 30 years older than us. And he was an atheist. And we would sit around our uh, Coleman lantern um, at night. And every night we would do a Bible study. And Fernando would just be unimpressed. You know, um, he would just say, I'd say, well, what do you think, Fernando? He'd say, Y'all know, say, you know, I don't know, and just completely indifferent. And um, it was, he was in many ways our trainer because we could, we could begin to see what sort of made his eyes, sort of his eyebrows go up. And um, we learned how to read for good news, you know, with him. He was a third grade educated um, peasant, subsistence farmer. And it was around that time, three years into our time, that he became a, a a believer in uh, in God and uh, and in Jesus, and around that time we got asked. Um, it, we were we were teaching uh, sustainable farming in different villages everywhere, and we every Saturday we go to this town called San Antonio, and we were out in a cornfield with about thirty farmers um, talking about um, intensive hillside farming. And a man showed up with with a, a pearl handed you know sort of a revolver, maybe two of them, and. Uh, one of the guys whispered to me that that was Lisandro Guzman, who was known to have killed quite a few people in the area, and they were worried about him. And, and so um, at that point, one of the the host of the gathering, the guy who owned the farm we were at, um, said, hey, uh, Roberto, you know, we, we know you put God first, you and Gracie, um, and uh, we are just peasants and 
we're materialists. All we think about is material reality. We're not spiritual. Um, we know nothing about God, even though we're Catholic. Um, would you be willing to teach us um, about, um, you know, just the Bible and um, and who God is? Because uh, some of us are very dangerous and rough um, and violent. Um, hint, hint, Lissandra Guzman over there. And, uh, <laughs> and maybe um, this will make some of us more gentle. And then we'll be able to train our kids <laughs> about the faith since, uh, you know, we're officially Catholic, but we don't know anything. And I was kind of thinking, wow, how in the world do they know that we put God first? And how in the world? And I asked them, well, what makes you think we put God first? And uh, this man, Herman Hernandez, he said, uh, well, we know that you have a Bible study in your house every night. And I was thinking, wow, how do they know that? We live way on the outskirts of town in this little farmhouse. And but apparently the word had gotten out that the, the four of us, our, our team, were reading the Bible. And uh, so I began um, the next week reading the Bible out in these cornfields. And uh, most of the people were out of favor with the church. You know, they hadn't, um, you know, they, they well, the Catholic priests would come like once a year just to do baptisms. And most of the people weren't married. They were just living in common law relationships. So they were considered to be fornicators. And a lot of them had alcohol problems. And a lot of them were involved in, you know, fights with their machetes. And these were real uh, outsiders to organized religion. And they were considered damned. And it was, it was there that I began reading the Bible with, uh, with these guys. And, and I, and a whole movement really started there where we, um, we, uh, it, it became known that we were doing that. And so we got invited to do it all over the place. And that's all we did for the next four, four or five years. And since then, um, is, is just reading Bible with the Bible with people outside the church and, you know, helping, helping them hear good news for themselves. And then since then, um, you know, the last 26 years, we've been in Skagit County, Washington state. Um, I've been chaplain of, of the jail and, I've been reading with uh, people in the prison system and Gracie has too. And on a weekly basis uh, until COVID hit and uh, you know, and, and we've been seeing the the power of the scriptures, um, you know, just reading through the stories, um, asking basic questions, um, helping people read thoughtfully, carefully. And uh, we've seen uh, the Holy spirit move and uh, touch people deeply. And out of that came um, a request from a graduate school up at, up in Vancouver Regent College for me to teach a course called Reading the Bible with the Damned. Had you already written your book I hadn't by this written, stage? Called? I hadn't written my book okay. yet, no. Right. But I'd been reading at that point for about, you know, maybe 20 years. And I had, in between Honduras and, um, and Skagit Valley, we spent th three years in France um, doing a, a degree in theology and um and then I was working on my doctorate in, in biblical studies and Old Testament. And I, I completed it by the time I was teaching at Regent. So I was integrating um, kind of uh, academic reading of the Bible into my work with the prisoners. How was it? How was it? Where, I mean, I imagine translating academic work to prisoners is one thing. But what about the other way around? What, what about the the kinds of Bible studies you were doing with prisoners and people in cornfields in the Honduras, how do you then do that in a evangelical master's degree in Vancouver? Like what, what kind of translation uh, was necessary 
to move from the prison into Regent College? Well, one of the things I was doing, um, I felt called in Honduras to go and to become trained. You know, one of my professors in France said, you know, you are like David uh, before Goliath, but you don't have the smooth stones. And uh, now is your opportunity to get uh, through training to get the smooth stones. And so uh, we had originally gone to France because uh, we felt like we wanted to bring uh, the best uh, sort of theological training we could find to the least and to the uh, and to bridge that divide, you know, because trickle down, it doesn't work in economics and it doesn't work in terms of the academy either. And, and not that the academy is where you find the best, but there's a lot of profound, um, you know, brilliant theology that is uh, that is that is to be found, you know, treasures new and old in the academy. So anyway, um, one of the things we would do is I would take notes from the inmates, um, which always shocked them, like, because I would write them, write down what they said. I, I'd be so struck by how they would interpret the Bible. So what I did is for my class in Regent, I would, uh, I'd give the inmates, um, you know, uh, the scriptures that I was going to teach. And I, um, and I have different groups of inmates uh, prepare, you know, do their own Bible study. And, and then I would, I would uh, right when my class happened, I, at that point, I had the ability to call into the jail and I'd put the inmates on speakerphone and I'd involve them in the Bible study. So I would interview them about, about the text that I was teaching on. And that was just profound for the students. But um, anyway, it was, uh, so it was really trying to bring sort of the, those worlds together in a deliberate way. And uh, what that did is it it kind of gave a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these graduate students who'd grown up in Christian homes and in churches, It um, a lot of them had become anesthetized to uh, the liberating word, you know, the gospel of the gospel. And they, they, they kind of thought, oh, yeah, I know all that. I've been there and done that. And a lot of them had judgments against, um, against scripture uh, based on um, having been preached to in ways that were, um, you know, that were not, maybe not the best. And, and so many of them, um, when they would, we would do these, when I do my course, they would come up to me uh, sometimes at the end of class um, crying. And they would say, you know, um, you talk about this as being reading the Bible for the damned, but I feel like I'm the damned. And I, uh, this is the first time that I've ever heard um, the gospel, you know, the good news about Jesus and who God is uh, as a positive liberating God first time I've ever heard that in my life and I've grown up in the church. And so I was seeing a lot of these graduate students just getting turned upside down. And I've, and that's been a lot of what we've continued to do is um, facilitating Bible studies, both in mainstream settings, but uh, continuing to uh, do our work among the, you know, among inmates and, you know, uh, people affected by immigration, um, incarceration and addiction. What was the gospel that you think, these students had like what when they when they said i've never heard this before but they'd grown up as christians their whole lives what what were they hearing i think that they were probably hearing um something about how god is um you know god loves you and god sent jesus but um in a way the father is us is is maybe separated from the son in the sense that the father is someone who is more distant and has to be pleased through right behavior and um, and Jesus sort of shows us what right behavior looks like and so um, his teachings and and maybe the Old Testament teachings are 
kind of set of um, set the bar for how we're to behave and and so there's a performance kind of Christianity, performance oriented Christianity, where it's all about uh, trying to do the right thing. And there's left 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 wing kind of performance orientation, like working with the poor, you know, a solidarity, uh, fighting against injustice. And then there's conservative, you know, more right wing versions of that, you know, being pro life and and being, uh, you know, uh, just about uh, capitalism or whatever. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's different versions, right? Uh, free enterprise and freedom of religion and all this kind of stuff. And But it's all still performance-oriented faith where you have to, you always feel like you're on a treadmill. And and was that not something that you were encountering in the prisons when you did the Bible study in prison? Oh, was that- I was encountering it all the time. That's the, that's the dominant. Everywhere. That's the dominant mode around the world in every religious, in every world religion. Every world religion has the same problem in Christianity suffers from it as much and as it's Islam or no, no different from, from jails or, or, uh, universities. It's everybody. This is what they bring to it. Yeah. I've read the Bible and with yeah. Muslims in, in prisons in France and in Mozambique, and they have almost the identical theology as people from Christian Western countries, Western Christian countries. <laughs> wow. What is it? Is it something deep in the human heart that we just expect as, a sky god to zap us is that what we're waiting for i don't know well there's an there's an accuser that is actively trying to trying to present the god god as this oppressive tyrant or a lame absent one and uh, you know and so people are are preyed on by you know accusatory thinking that that puts god um, as a villain, it vilifies God, or or just makes him a lame God, who uh, you know, and 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 so that's that's just something we notice, and and unfortunately, a lot of the uh, the, the churches have fallen prey to that themselves, and and there's been a sort of an anti-gospel preached um, in many places that yeah. oppresses people, and ironically. I've learned that if a, if it has gos if the church has gospel in the name, it it usually is the bastion of anti gospel, and uh, that seems to happen quite a lot. Yeah, the places that speak the loudest about the gospel are sometimes the ones with the least awareness of it. <laughs> so, what do we what what do you want to do tonight uh, today with me, Bob? I'd love to have a I'd love to have a Bible study with you right now. What what was on your heart or mind that you thought we should go through? I mean, um, it would involve shifting shifting gears significantly because okay. kind of away from the orientation that, that we were just uh, we, we were just talking about um, working. You know, like a lot of my work is um, helping people in a way midwifing encounters between the liberating you know, God revealed in Jesus, um, and people who need liberation, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm the midwife. Um, and I'm just trying to help, uh, help people hear a, a fresh word for themselves. And, um, but there's also the, the need to bring good news to those who want to carry a liberating message and who feel like their voice is just, uh, their words are falling to the ground right in front of them and not, not not going out the seed that they're trying to sow is is not hitting fertile ground so i think i'd like to talk about about uh, i'd like to address those folks 
um, who may be listening who who feel discouraged and who need to hear a, um, a fresh word that would empower them to be uh, part of the Jesus movement, you know, proclaiming the gospel of good news. Okay, let's do it. All right. Who could say no? Who could say no to hearing the good news? Well, I hope it's good news. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, Elijah, and um, I, I've been talking about Elijah a bit lately and been really moved by him, even though I find him to be kind of a difficult character. Um, some of his behavior is definitely not in alignment with Jesus, um, you know, like slaughtering all the prophets of Baal. And uh, and Jesus explicitly repudiates that yes. as well, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. And yet Elijah um, models a kind of prophetic posture that I think um, is missing in a lot of what's called prophetic ministry in in North America anyway. I think a lot of yeah, that's uh, really of the moment, isn't prophetic it? ministry in North America is often more in alignment with the false prophetic, um, the court prophets. Yes, that, that stand with the powerful and kind of tell them words of affirmation. And um, yeah. and prophetic ministry from the beginning of the biblical story is about speaking truth to power. Um, you know, Moses is called to um, after he's murdered an, an Egyptian taskmaster and fled for his life you know he's called by god to to go and to um let his let call out to pharaoh to let his people let god's people go and he's he's sent um you know with the staff to uh, to speak um um words um as god's spokesperson you know to tell pharaoh let my people go and uh, that they might serve me rather than pledging allegiance to the the flag um that's over egypt or or over the u.s or uk or any any place right um moses is um the prototype prophet so we see that that gets him into lots of trouble and um and he calls the people out of egypt he doesn't try to he's not able to reform egypt he's able to actually what we see with moses is the powers are not reformable but they um the only way that liberation happens is through the destruction of the powers, you know, the chariots and uh, that go under, under the red waters of the Red Sea. And, um, and so this notion that we can reform the powers, I think, uh, is very dear to British and American Christians, but I don't think it's very biblical. So Elijah models uh, uh, sort of like real robust prophetic ministry. He's, he's told um, by God to, um, you know, to predict a drought um, during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. And, uh, you know, where there was just a lot of, um, of widespread idolatry, the worship of, of Baal and setting up of high places. And, uh, you know, um, Elijah predicts this drought and, uh, and then God tells him, uh, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, uh, which is east of the Jordan. This is 1 Kings 17. And, okay. um, and then God yeah, says, you, you know, Bible you can drink, drink from the brook. And, um, and then he commands ravens um, to provide for him. Um, it's interesting because the word raven is uh, the same word as Arab in uh, Hebrew. It sounds the same. Uh, <laughs> Which is uh, it's Arab. It's the same as okay. like I'm going to provide Arabs to to uh, I'm going to I've commanded Arabs to provide for you. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think it's ravens, but it has that dual sense. And uh, okay. 
So God uh, hides Elijah, or Elijah is in hiding, you know, from mm. um, you know from the from the Jewish uh, authorities, right? Who, uh, yeah, who definitely are um, probably have a warrant for his arrest, and uh, so he goes there. But then, um, um, and he's provided for by God, and um, you know, which shows us, you know, one of the fear, things that people fear about speaking truth to power is having their finances dry up. And uh, I think that's the main issue. Yeah. And so <laughs> say one of, I think it might be the main thing. Church leaders, yeah. church leaders don't want us to uh, speak out because they're worried about their big donors and uh, graduate yeah. school boards of directors put pressure on faculty and, and faculty yeah. themselves, you know, bow to pressures themselves. And, you know, there's yeah. um, anyway, Elijah is, uh, is willing to, you know, to go into hiding and to be cared for and provided for by God. And, and so the ravens bring him meat and, and bread and morning and in the evening. And then so there's no rain. And when the brook dries up, um, then God calls him. And the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Um, and I love this, how the word of the Lord comes to him when he needs the word of the Lord to come to him, when he needs the instruction for the next step. And it, this shows us a God who is taking the initiative, who's pursuing, who is, um, you know, going towards us. And it's a word that comes to him. It's not a vision. Um, and I think this is key to us learning to identify how God speaks to us now. And he's told, uh, get up, you know, rise and go to Zarephath. And Zarephath, uh, which belongs to Sidon, that was a town right in the heart of uh of sort of Jezebel, um, she was from the from Sidon, and that was the the heartland of the cult of uh, you know of Baal, Baal worship. And so it would be like if you were called to go um, into the heart, say, of uh, ISIS territory, and be provided for by um, a widow there um, as a Westerner. You know, I mean, like pretty scary. So God, uh, God's call is actually from going from being in hiding to going right kind of right into enemy enemy territory and he's told to stay there. Okay. So he's outside of the land of Israel in Sidon. And he says, behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And so then we have this big story about how um, it doesn't seem like the widow is, is, is prepared or, you know, is on point. Um, but she ends up providing for him of the very last of her bread. And then um, there's really cool miracle about, um, flour and oil that um, is multiplied for her. And, uh, and then also her son dies and, and Elijah raises him from the dead. But then um, Elijah is, uh, you know, is told uh, the word of the Lord comes to him again and tells him to go and show himself to Ahab. Okay. Which that's another suicidal mission, right? Because Ahab has a, you know, he's, he's got a warrant. Ahab has put out a warrant for his arrest too, and so he Just ends because up because Elijah um, wouldn't prophesy prosperity on the land, or he was well. Elijah had prophesied drought, and the yeah. drought had continued, and so the whole land was suffering. Yeah, and people saw Elijah as the it would be like Elijah being seen as the cause of of global heating, or something, you know. And and so it's like we got to find the person that's <laughs> he didn't tell itching ears what they wanted to hear. No. Ahab um, calls Obadiah and he puts Obadiah on, on the alert, almost like a bounty hunter to kind of 
turn in Elijah. And, and then there's this mention of Obadiah, how he was a God-fearer. And he had hidden a hundred prophets of the Lord in a cave, which is really cool because, uh, you know, we see that there's this remnant um, that of, of prophetic characters that, um, so Elijah's not the only one, right? There's uh, And there's an insider in the system who's, you know, who's providing cover, you know, for this subversive uh, kingdom of God element, um, these prophets. And Elijah ends up um, meeting up with Ahab and then um, challenges him to this contest where, um, you know, he, he challenges all the prophets of Baal to, to call on Baal to consume these uh, offerings, right? Of, uh, you know, and the prophets of Baal, they cry out and they cut themselves and they, and Elijah mocks them and yeah they go into their frenzied worship their 40-day fast equivalents to try to get uh their candidate to be the chosen one and nothing happens okay nothing happens despite all of the efforts of all of these uh 400 prophets of Baal who you know Baal is like the storm god he's the ultimate arrogant you know sort of uh power warrior kind of god and um and so all these guys, they're they're in a frenzied attempt to kind of, um, you know, to kind of get their candidate, uh, you know, to be chosen, right? Um, I mean, they're sure that that their candidate is God, you know, that their Baal is God, and but nothing happens. And Elijah mocks them, and then calls down um, for God to consume the offering, and fire comes down on this offering, and even though he's had piles of water just dumped on it, um, the offering is is completely sizzled and um and then all the people who are witnessing they they say the lord is god the lord is god then you have this um elijah you know where he does something very unjesus like you know he takes all the prophets of baal you know and he and he slaughters them down at the brook uh, kidron or kishon he slew them there then we have so we have in a way this huge victory and at that point, Elijah declares an end to the drought, and and then the rains come, and it's just like wow, you know, the agent of the kingdom of God is victorious. But then, um, then he learns that Jezebel wants to take his life, right? And uh, that completely intimidates him, and um, and he takes off uh, in a panic, okay, because uh, he feels vastly overwhelmed and outnumbered. And um, and Jezebel, because Jezebel's told him, like, um, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the prophet, her prophets of Baal that were killed by tomorrow about this time, you know, then, um, you know, like she kind of play, announces this uh, really th- huge threat against him. And so, um, and so anyway, this is where I want to kind of focus. Um, it's interesting how he takes off to the south to Beersheba. Uh, with his servant and um, then he goes a day he leaves his servant and he goes a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and he said it is enough now O lord take my life for i'm not better than my father's so he goes into this depression it's like he in the face of you know this uh, jezebel character who seems all powerful to him even though he's had this victory and god's vindicated him and the people have even even turned and said the lord is god you know he he goes into this complete 
um, depression. He says, um, so he lay down and he slept under the juniper tree. I think this happens to a lot of people, you know, um, when we're in the struggle. What do you think, Stephen? Have you noticed that? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at him. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He sleeps under the solitary juniper tree. Yeah. Almost the the point of success is when you want to, you've had some, you've seen some act, some success or something, something positive or something of, of truth come through. And then, and then you just realize the, the futility of it, or you just feel, it feels futile. Yeah. yeah. So you see that one of your trainings, you know, kind of stirs people up and yeah, you get some breakthrough, but then you just are, aware that wow the battle is far from over and um how how can i survive how can i keep going forward you know do you ever feel that way yes <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I i looked at him talking about his ancestors and, and i just i often find myself like looking at people who have come up in the past like people who i prophets or philosophers or thinkers or like Kierkegaard or or Bonhoeffer, these kind of great people who stood against the evil in their own day and were pretty much ignored in their own lifetime. Yes. And I, often, I often find myself thinking about them. Huh. They're always right and they're always ignored. So um, it's interesting how solitude is sort of one of the features of Elijah's, uh, mm. you know, what he does, he, he kind of goes off by himself, doesn't he? Yeah. And uh do you ever do you ever find yourself doing that? Yes. Even you even this I'm... period of lockdown. Mm -hmm. I found myself resisting when there's people around me who are trying to push the limits of the law to meet together. I actually don't want to do that. I want to be alone. Yeah, me too. So so we see this tendency and, and look what happens. It's 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 beautiful. Um he lay down and he slept under a juniper tree and behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, hmm. rise, eat. So God sends a messenger to uh, this beloved uh, solitary depressed soul mm -hmm. and, uh, and touches him while he's sleeping and hmm. tells him to get up and eat. And uh, then he looked and behold, there was at his head, a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Hmm. Um, so God provides um, once again um, and doesn't give up on him, even though he is so despondent in the aftermath yeah. of, of his victory. Um, yeah. So he ate and he drank and then he lay down again. So it wasn't quite enough, you know, was it? Um, he kept yeah. sleeping. And then um, verse seven, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. Hmm. You know, I think that's really revelatory. You know, the journey is too great for you. Yeah. Um, what do you What do you think about that? Do you ever feel like the journey that you're on is just too too big, too great, too challenging? Yes, I feel like I feel like if I want to see real goodness happen, the whole world would have to change. Like, it's just too big for me. A whole culture would have to change to see what I yeah. like to see in the world. Yeah. 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 Me too. Yeah.
And so it's interesting how the angel comes and twice is providing this uh, this bread, hot bread, and and a jar of water. And you know, I wonder, I wonder where what that would have been like to to eat that bread and to drink that water, that that heavenly provision. You know, um, I wonder what what this is saying to us. You know, whether um, we we need to be more expectant of. Uh, of of some some kind of provision that is spiritual provision that will awake enliven us and give us the energy the stamina to persevere what do you think well i i almost feel like i might be a little bit resentful i might be like all you're giving me is water and flatbread <laughs> how's that going to help against jezebel yeah, I just want to lie. Simple, I just want to lie down and die. Stop giving me bread and water. <laughs> yeah, it's not even like a leg of lamb dinner or something. It's not. It's like the bare basic, right? Yeah, no pudding or anything like. <laughs> rise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So, but but check out what happens then. So, yeah, uh, God is persistent, even if uh, Elijah falls back asleep and yep. his depression seems so strong, um, and you know. Um, even when we are just feeling beaten down and we're just looking at all the news and it just, things aren't changing fast enough. And we look at the churches and people aren't demonstrating the fruits of repentance that we'd like to see, Mm. you know, um, and we want to just go back to sleep and just forget the whole mess and just escape our callings and, and just say, you know, why even Mm. bother trying to call myself a Christian? I mean, what a mess this is all become. Um, That's when the angel of the Lord comes and, and wakes us up and feeds us. And uh, then it says that he ate, arose and ate and drank. So there's something about um, that um, agreement with the voice of the of the angel. Yeah. And uh, doing what the angel says that is essential, right? He doesn't blow yeah. him off and say, oh, you know, you don't even know what, I'm, what I've gone through. You're an angel. Your life is easy. <laughs> you know, you can just fly <laughs> off, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, you didn't have to face the the incredible anxiety of wondering whether God was going to come through for me and, and, you know, consume mm-hmm. the, the sacrifice and all the people watching me and media attention that I was getting, you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't blow it, blow him off. He, he, he receives the humble provision, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It's like an act of belief, isn't it? You think that's an act of, 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 of choosing to believe? Yeah. It's kind of an act of like simple humility. Just, Okay. You asked me to do it. I'll do it. I'm not. I think that's faith. Yeah. I think it is faith. What, yeah. I think that's an act. Of, it's, that's what faith is about. And yeah. it feels very fragile. It is very fragile. Yeah. So check it out. And he went in the strength of that food, 40 yeah. days and 49 to Horeb. So, wow. Yeah. That food must have been pretty potent. Against that, all that bread, expectations. That bread. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, Against all you know, appearances. Um, so he goes 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, and it's called the mountain of God. Now, Horeb, the, the word in Hebrew, uh, means to be dry and desolate. Okay. Okay, so he heads into greater dryness and desolation. And yet that's actually the mountain of God, right? It's like going um, into desolation. Yeah. And, uh, and it's the spirit. I mean, it's the, it's, it's the angel, angelic food that's provided by God that, empowers him to go into greater desolation. Great he's not desolation. yeah he's not denying 
anything. He's he's about facing the darkness, facing the dryness, facing the desolation. Yeah. Um, he's going 40 days into it. And so what happens? Let's let's just check it out. So he came there to a cave mm-hmm. and he lodged there. He's okay. sleeping a lot. Um, <laughs> In the last yeah. five verses, he's <laughs> sleeping like two or three times. Yeah. I think actually rest is super important. You know, yeah. I mean, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah, right. Yeah. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Oh, I love it. You know, the word of the Lord came to him. Yeah. There's there's this active agency of God and who is described as speaking as the word. The word yeah. comes to him. And look what the word says to him. It's a question. <laughs> and this is so common for God. God is such a... yeah. Uh, rascal you know he just says uh, what are you doing here elijah yeah <laughs> he doesn't sound hyper sovereign does he? he doesn't he doesn't like say thus says the lord i see that you're yeah you're, you're depressed and you're escaping your calling and no god says what are you doing here elijah and and elijah says i have been very zealous for the lord the god of hosts mm. Um, and the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I yeah. alone am left. Yeah. And they seek my life to take it away. Yeah. Do you ever feel that way that you yeah. alone are left? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's just very uh, egotistical, but you do feel that way. when You, you know, this last fall. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I you do just... Feel that in the last 24 hours, I've had two separate friends let me know about like the, your typical nationalist worship leader type people who are doing some tweet about how Christian nationalism is actually a good thing. And um, like literally saying that. And, uh, and they have hundreds of thousands of followers. And you do just feel like I'm sitting in my shed <laughs> making podcasts and one dumb tweet reaches a hundred thousand people and it's just evil and i do feel really alone yeah i felt really kind of i felt like a drop in the ocean yes yeah i feel that way too this yeah. in the fall you know um i was feeling so despondent and i i was actually doing a lot of hiking into the backcountry way way up in off trail and because i do that that's kind of been one of my survival um you know, kind of strategies is for my whole life. I've, I've gone solo hiking and I go, um, I actually went up and it was just pouring rain. And, um, and in a way that made me feel even more comforted. I, I hiked up into this high Alpine, um, you know, Valley, um, off trail, um, into these clouds. And, uh, and I actually, I was just despairing over the political situation in the United States and the state of the church. And it was pre election and um and i went and i actually found a cave um and i and i i thought you know i should read this text again because i'd been pondering this text and so i was in this big cave with water coming down on all sides you know from the rains and it was just this dark high alpine environment and i just uh i read this text and i was thinking um god i felt like god was saying bob why are you here and I was like why am i here i'm drenched Actually, I had pretty good Gore-Tex um, outer garments on, and uh, but you know it was cold, and and I was like, why am I here? And I thought, you know, I feel a lot like Elijah. I, I think I, I I'm experiencing some self-pity. You know, I'm um, 
I'm very je- I'm very zealous for the Lord. I I want Jesus and the kingdom of God to be front and center. And I and uh, I feel like uh, I could almost say, you know, um, but the American Christians they've forsaken your covenant and they've torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. You know, they've sworn allegiance to the Republican Party and to you know and to Donald Trump and I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. You know. Um, or you know you you could you could apply that to any sort of uh, lots of different contexts, right? I'm just using the American context how I was feeling, and then look what God says. Uh, I love it how God really wants us to communicate with with God uh, our heart, and and God comes to us often. We see this in the Bible. Jesus uh, is uh, you know asking people questions, and God asks people questions, and you know, God says to Cain, why are you angry? Elijah answers the question and then um, he says, go forth and stand in the mountain, on the mountain before the Lord. So God calls him out of his cave. You know, the cave in a way would, re- would represent self-protection. You know, like, I'm just going to hide out uh, because I'm afraid and I'm miserable and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm full of self-pity and anger and I'm 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 experiencing desolation. And so I'm just going to hold up. I'm going to hold up and uh you know that tendency to isolate. So God calls him out of the cave, out of that uh to a place of greater vulnerability. And um and I think that's that that's that's what I feel like God is doing um is saying today to you know to those of us who um you know who are who can identify with Elijah, you know, calling us out um out of our caves. Um, and he said, um, and behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and a strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Um, you know, the, the reality is outside the cave, it's dangerous. Yeah. Things are falling apart outside of the cave. Like it feels treacherous. Um, we have reason to want to go and hide out and self-protect. And after the wind and earthquake, oh man, it's, it even gets worse. Um, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Okay, so um, wind, earthquake, fire. It's like outside the cave, um, things get almost worse before they, are they going to get better? And he's standing outside the cave. So I I, I positioned myself outside of that cave up on the mountain as well, right? I just, I was reading this text. I just took a step out into the rain and I, and then I, um, and then it says after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. <laughs> I, I just love that. You know, it's like God's, and th- and th- this is when God speaks is in that, in that humble, gentle uh, blowing. And um, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So I guess he really kind of didn't maybe stand out there until the gentle blowing, you know, kind of beckoned him out there, right? And behold, a voice came to him. I love that. It's like even more personal than a word. Asks him the same question. Yeah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Yeah. What are you doing here, Elijah? So. God never responded to Elijah's, uh, what Elijah said, and Elijah just repeats the same thing. 
I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts and for the sons of, and for the church, the Western church or the global church. Lord, I've just been very full of just desire to see the kingdom of God advance. And, but people have forsaken your, the teachings of Jesus, uh, of, of radical discipleship and nonviolence and enemy love. And, you know, they've torn down your altars and they've, they've elevated the, the flags of nation and party and denomination and mammon and everything else, right? And they've killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So then look what God says, and, and um, it just blows my mind. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Okay, so God sends him to Syria. Like, what? Like, God is not, like, comforting him at this no. point. God right. is God's God's approach is to actually send him on another mission. Yeah. And he sends him on a mission that is very difficult. He says, uh, when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. So he, he tells him to go and anoint a foreign king. Get involved in politics. Yeah. Um, to be a king over, uh, over the nation of Syria that would have been Syria at that time. And then he says, in Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. Okay, so to anoint another king. Uh, in the place of the existing king, like that's super dangerous. And and we see later on in, in First Kings that that was a very dangerous move the way he did it. And then he says, um, and anoint Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphat of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So God sends him um, right back into the fire. And the last uh, command is to is to actually empower the prophetic movement. So that it would it would continue, and you know Elisha did seven times as many miracles as Elijah, and so we see that, uh, and that's the first thing he ends up doing. The first thing Elijah ends up doing is actually anointing, um, anointing Elijah, Elisha, and um, and so this this beaten down, despondent prophet is empowered to actually uh, to actually kind of feed the front line, you know, sort of. Uh, the prophetic movement to, to empower it and to, and to be engaged in, in prophetic uh, activism. And, um, and then at the very end, verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So it's like what I heard God saying to me up on that mountain was, look, you go. Um, actually I, I heard God tell me, uh, bring to mind the Syrian friend, who um, I had met in in uh, Lebanon, and who had asked me to to do some trainings uh, that we could we could uh, you know we could record some YouTube and MP3 uh, teachings. Um, so I actually heard God bring that guy to mind, and um, and I ended up uh, contacting him right afterwards, and we've started doing these uh, trainings in Arabic and English called uh, My Faith and Life which are on our website. And, uh, and then God tells him, look, um, go right back into the fray um, and, and do what I'm calling you to do, speaking truth to power and, and being engaged. And then he tells him, look, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. And I feel like God has been telling that to, speaking that to me, like there are, there are lots of people out there that need to be cared for who are part of the remnant of, uh, of those that God is, uh, keeping, um, faithful and uh, who are, who are faithful. 
because he's not Elijah's not Elijah's not alone. I mean, he keeps saying I'm the only one left, and then God says, "Well, here's seven thousand more people." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. maybe some of you who are listening to this podcast, you, you know, you're like some of those seven thousand, and um, or you or maybe some of you are like the Elisha that um, that is uh, ready for the anointing to be to be prayed over you so that you can be part of this prophetic movement. You know, I think you're one of those for sure, Stephen. Well, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. So when you, when you, when you, can you yeah, relate to this I though? Can you relate to this that, you know, like um, a voice of some kind in that yeah. gentle blowing, speaking to you and, and calling you out and calling you, um, you know, to engage. Can you relate to that? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Yeah, this hasn't been like this this process of of me doing what I'm doing. Like it's been a long time. I've been I've been doing this for 20 years, right? On and off actually. Um yeah. And and along the way there's just been lots and lots of still quiet voices or nudges or uh god-ordained meetings with different people and yeah, I do. I, I don't feel like my I what I'm doing is just because I pig-headedly made myself do it. I do feel like I've been led and nudged and quietly placed in some of these positions. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the full story of what I'm doing or of tent theology or what I'm doing would would have to include prophetic words and miracles and dreams and there is a whole lot of 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 stuff going on behind the scenes <laughs> that's true so what what do you think about just this um just this story that we've been we've been discussing um do you, do you can you see the relevance of it for today i rarely see it i mean i i was trying to think i, I pay attention to when i when, if i get a bit of tears in my eyes then i think oh there's something on this and i was getting a bit teary-eyed i think when you were talking when we were talking about I guess just Elijah, I guess it was verse 10 or whatever, just Elijah just just sort of pouring out. He's saying, I've, I've been really passionate for you. And kind of reminded me a bit of the people who say, we left everything to follow you, Jesus. We, we did all this. Come on. We're, what's going to happen? What's happening? Why aren't we seeing what we, what we hoped for? And I felt a little bit yeah. like that with Elijah. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel like he was, he was feeling sorry for himself, but it wasn't completely feeling sorry for himself. I mean, he's also trying to, he's trying to draw from or call on justice, right? He's saying, look, this is, this is happening here. What you're a just God. How come it, how come you haven't done anything yet? Yeah. Yeah. And check out, um, if we just jump ahead um, to John or Luke chapter three, it's really interesting. Um, looking at John the Baptist and his prophetic calling, you know, um, I, I, in the past, I used to see John the Baptist as someone who was just sort of like a historic figure who announced Jesus and then got beheaded. And then he, he had no more relevance. And I don't see him that way at all anymore. I really see him as a, as kind of a prototype um, prophetic voice and forerunner of, of Jesus. Um, Jesus' second coming now, you know, I mean, he's he's a placeholder for any of us who, um, you know, who are called to to be about announcing the kingdom of God. 
it's really cool how in chapter three, verse one, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Traconitis and Lysanias was the tetrarch of Abilene in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Okay, so it says uh, in that time, all all of these powers, it'd be like if you said in the, Third year of Donald Trump's, you know, presidency, and when Boris Johnson was prime minister of, yeah. Yeah. of the UK, you know, yeah, um, you know, and uh, you know, Franklin Graham was the the spokesperson for the, you know, yeah. the Samaritan Purse and the Billy Graham Foundation or whatever, and you know, and Bill Johnson and whatever was the head of Bethel Church and, or you know, whatever you just name people from, yeah, body, you know, from the church and from the state and. Says the word of the Lord came to John um, in that time, right? Not to the, one of these powerful people. In fact, the powerful people there were all par- most of them were part of Jesus's uh, crucifixion. They were Antichrist yeah. characters. I know that's a whole list of people who killed Jesus. Yeah, killed Pontius God. Pilate, Herod. You know, um, Herod was the guy who beheaded John, right? Um, all these people, like uh, even the I mean, the religious leaders, Annas and Caiaphas, they were part of Jesus's uh, condemnation. So the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah. Zechariah was kind of a nondescript prophet who didn't believe and then went mute. Yeah. Okay. So he comes to him in the wilderness. Yeah. So does that ring a bell with the Elijah story? Yeah, right. The word of the Lord comes to him and to John in the wilderness. Way out of centers of power. And so look look what it says. And he came, and look what happened to John then. He came into all the district around the Jordan. So interestingly... Mm -hmm. He went into the whole district in that border country. You know, the Jordan Valley was borderland. Um, You know, when Jesus was um, baptized, he went, um, he crossed into the wilderness. In other words, he left, he left Israel. He left the land, the Holy Land, and went into the, he backtracked Joshua. Right. You know, Joshua's into the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights into, he left his nation. Yeah, which I think is really um, that's my you know I believe that baptism really involves us departing from our national identity, leaving our national yes. allegiance. I agree. But the border country is where John um, yeah. proclaims uh, the baptism, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And I wonder what the border country looked like now. You know, it it, it strikes me as kind of the margins. You know, you know who lives along the borders, and and you have this beautiful. Um, Citation of Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That word crying is actually screaming, like like really crying out loud. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. You know, um, there's a lot of teaching about the high places in some settings. But here it looks like uh, the ravines will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. So the high places are brought down and the low places are brought up. There's, there's no uh, raining from the high places. There's a leveling. So that all flesh will see the salvation of God. I wonder what that would look like for us to be about uh, that prophetic ministry of John the Baptist. I mean, look, John doesn't, after that whole litany of places of power, politics, patriots, preachers, priests, John doesn't go and become one of them. That's not what the end of this is, right? (laughs) No. The voice doesn't cry out in the wilderness and say, go and take over Rome or go and take the priesthood for yourself or go and reform the temple. He doesn't say any of that, does he? 
Yeah, there's no Zionist agenda here. It's not about making Jerusalem the capital. No, no. It's not about redeeming or reforming or retaking any of those places of power. No, it's it's this imagery right out of the um, you know out of Isaiah that is about the return from exile. I was thinking about you. You asked who lives on the borders, and I was thinking there's two types of people that live on the borders. One type is the people who are fleeing the centers of power or who've been pushed out. Right, they're they're living on the borders because the center doesn't want them. But there's another type who are people coming in from outside, and they're trying to get to the centers of power. Hmm. And the yeah. borders is kind of like this meeting place between some people who have been spewed up and kicked, you know, they're chewed up and spewed out, or people who are still trying to get there. And wow. that's the borders are, right? Yeah. And it's there that John is proclaiming the baptism, you know, um, which is this death to your identity according to the flesh that involves a change of mind, repentance, and uh, and then really confessing confession of our of our own um you know uh alignment and collusion with the powers and and receiving the forgiveness of our sins all humanity there in verse six it, that really reminds me of um the joel's prophecy in acts two about wow, this yeah. uh, pour out my spirit on all son, all your sons and daughters on all people and that's a politically kind of revolutionary prophecy as well right yeah, no kidding. But here it's all flesh we'll see. We'll see. We'll see the salvation of God. It's like these barriers, the valleys and the mountains are are, are anything that represent like obstacles to vision. And so, you know, what are the things that block people from seeing Jesus as the revelation of the Father? Um, as, you know, the, the lamb that was slain at the foundations of the world, like, seeing that one as the Christ, as the savior, the one who wins by losing. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you who you say, who stops people from seeing that it, it's other visions of powerful people. That's what stops, right? People don't see the lamb because they're looking at the guy with a hundred thousand Instagram followers. <laughs> yeah. They're looking at the guy with the mega media empire or the political party. Yes. You can't, you can't see Jesus because you're looking at all the other high places. Mm, yes. Definitely that. that. That resonates. So this, I believe that, and John was called like the Elijah, right? Who was, who was coming to prepare the way for Jesus, the prophesied mm, Elijah. Right. And, um, you know, and so how do we step into that Elijah mandate? Um, you know, I believe God is, the word of the Lord is coming. And the voice of the Lord is is coming to 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 us, to you, to me, and uh, calling us out of our caves and calling yeah. us to stand um, ready to for our next assignment, which looks like not going. <laughs> it doesn't look like your assignment is to hide back in your cave. <laughs> it looks like it's fairly dangerous potentially, and engaged with the people of power. And that's where, you know, I've kind of hung on to my metaphor of guerrilla, you know, the guerrilla gospel, guerrilla Bible studies. I've been struggling with whether that was the right language to use, you know, in the light of all the militia activity in the United States now, which, yeah. I, which I totally oppose. But, you know, it is, um, there is a, a battle, a, you know, a struggle 
that we're that we're really dealing with that we're facing here and um and it's uh but it's not one involving um you know the visible human being like enemies of flesh and blood it's about dealing with the powers and the principalities and the world forces of darkness as paul describes in ephesians 6 i think if paul and jesus both use military metaphors to describe what they're doing you can do it too yeah so I think I think that's subverting it, right? <laughs> Take it. Yeah, and, and so it. you know, if you look at Second Corinthians chapter ten, it's uh, you know Paul's using it all the time, and he's so committed to nonviolence. But like in chapter ten, he says, um, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh." Okay, so what 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 might be the ways that we we'd be tempted to war according to the flesh? Kill the flesh, outspend the flesh, outspend your enemies or kill your enemies or shout them down. Yeah. Media, um, actual weaponry, which is what we're about, a lot of people are about in, in the yeah. U.S. Yeah. Paul says for the weapons of our warfare, there are weapons of warfare that um, that we, we need to be able to call our um, the weapons of our warfare. They are not of the flesh, not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So there's something that is, um, that we're called to that is destructive. We're about destroying certain kinds of fortresses, which I see as intellectual um, and spiritual fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So, this is where Bible study for me is so important. You know, scripture itself, Paul describes it, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And if we, if we, if we want to wage war, that's not according to the flesh, we need to be, we need to be re receiving the words that are coming to us in the desert and hearing the voice. And scripture is one of the, one of the places that God speaks um, regularly to, you know, to me, to, to my wife, Gracie. And, to the people with with whom we read in this in the prisons and and beyond yeah what about elisha's how do you like god tells elijah you know go and elevate elisha are you do you wait for for the lord to put people on your heart or are you kind of always in the in the mode of seeking to raise people up or do you only seek to raise up people that you are led to I think um, I like John the Baptist going to all the region of the borderlands, you know, and uh, I like Jesus going village to village. Um, you know, he's the sower who sows with great generosity. You know, his seeds, he scatters on the path on in this, in the, he doesn't seem to be worried about whether this, he's an indiscriminate sower. And it's always outside of the <laughs> Pharisees and the politics, isn't it? It's always outside of these institutions. They're yeah, sowing even sowing into the hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes and everybody, Pilate. I mean, like he he's indiscriminate. It's like it says because he he has this vision: all flesh will see, all flesh will see the glory of the Lord. So he even sows in those in even the, in Pilate the, in yeah. the halls of power. Yeah, yeah. He sows from the cross, from you know his execution site. Yeah. So what? Where now? What do I do now? Now that you've <laughs> now that we've done this, now what do I do to seal it? Well, I think we can pray, and um, and I want to invite people to just um, engage with, you know, with Scripture and 
you know, um, it's really important to be reading the Gospels on a daily basis. And, yeah. And uh, reading the Old Testament with Jesus as our rabbi, you know, like letting him be the one um, who who makes our hearts burn as he interprets, uh, you know, the Torah and the prophets. Well, is it okay? To- shall we pray? I was going to say, can you, shall we pray? Shall you lead us? Yeah, let's pray. Yeah, let's pray. So, um, Jesus, thank you that you, um, you're a recruiter and, um, you know, you go to the seashore, you, um, you know, we see your movement, um, in the Elijah story. Um, you go and you, you're, you're in pursuit of, of your, of your people and you're mobilizing, um, a, a whole, um, movement, um, of your kingdom, um, that is, it's under the radar, you know, it's, um, thank you that you are, um, you know, you're out calling and you, you, that was what you're about. You called the fishermen to, uh, you know, to fish for people and not just for fish. And you are calling people as, uh, prophetic voices, as, um, announcers of the reign of God, um, as communicators of liberating messages, uh, help us to come out of our caves and to receive your your humble and powerful um, words to us and give us the faith um, as a gift to be able to say yes and to uh, let you mobilize us um, help us to um, you know to to go and to drink and eat of the spiritual food um, that we need mm. to um, empower us for um the long haul for the long journey um i just uh, ask that you would pour out your holy spirit on everybody here that is uh, listening on all of us um increase our spiritual thirst um even if it means some of uh, our current sources they need to just dry up and we need to recognize we need to go elsewhere help us to be able to discern where that elsewhere is you know, uh, new sources, um, the equivalents of the widow of Zarephath or, you know, or the hot bread and the, and the jar of water in the desert, help us to, to hear your voice and to let you feed us and mobilize us and, uh, help us to hear your, hear the clear instructions, just clarify our hearing, um, of your prophetic, uh, of your voice mm-hmm. to, to each of us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bob Eckblad, thank you for sharing a guerrilla Bible study with me. I, I loved it. And I'm, I can't wait to start doing this with other people. This has been really good. Thank you for joining us. Please may you and Gracie come back. I know that you, I know that she's uh, was busy today. So please can I invite you and Gracie to come back again one day to have a conversation about Tierra Nuera, uh, Nuvera and your uh, people's seminary and all the other good things that you're doing yeah absolutely i'd love to and i invite anybody to anybody to join us uh, we're going to be starting a weekly bible study that's going to go for uh three months beginning february 5th how can people find um, that from 12 noon to 1 p- okay how can if you go to peopleseminary.org okay peopleseminary.org you can look for gorilla um it's basic training for the Jesus movement, we're going to be going through my, my new book, uh, Guerrilla Bible Studies, Volume 3, Basic Training for the Jesus Movement. And you can join join in any time. Okay. It's a Zoom training. Well, I'll be sure to. 8 p.m. UK time, 9 p.m. Europe, 
Europe time, Fridays. Um, now this might not be going out. I think your your Bible study will have started by the time this comes out. Will you be running it again in the future? Um, yeah, but people can join in later too. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll be sure to include. But we have other things going on. We have other courses going on. Okay. I'll I'll include all of the information on the. Yeah, you don't need you don't need to include any of that. If you want to just let people know, they're welcome to join later. That's fantastic. I really hope that people do. Uh, yeah, it's a rare it's a rare thing to have a Bible teacher like you who's as uh, educated but also as spiritually motivated. So it's really really <laughs> honored to have you and Gracie speak into our lives. Thank you so much. Absolutely, <sighs> pleasure. Well, Bob, I'm going to uh, wind down now and leave you to, to get on with your life in Washington. <laughs> and I'll get on with my life in my shed in West Sussex. But uh, You're in a shed? Is that where you I, are? I'm in a shed. I've converted my shed into a studio and an office. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm aware cool. that we shouldn't well, that stay was, in our caves. That was fun, Steve. Very fun. And I feel like there's 7,000 people who didn't bend the knee. Come on, let's meet them all. This is good. Thanks, Bob. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchin for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.